0: I'm going to invite you to John chapter 15 today. John 15 is where we're going to be. And um, this section of scripture is kind of one of those sections that you read and you're like, uh, as you read it, you, you, there's maybe it's just me. But as you read it, you're like, man. Why does this have to be relevant? I don't want, this, this section of life that I don't want to relate to me at all, um, but, but because Jesus said it, um, the good thing about this section of scripture is, even though I don't necessarily want to dive into today's section because of, of what the topic is, um, I'm thankful that God still has a plan and God still cares. And that's where we find it today. If you remember in the context of where we're getting to in John 15, these are the last hours of Jesus's life. And he's, he's spending it in the most intimate settings with his disciples in the upper room, teaching some of, the, uh, some of the most beautiful teachings he has ever delivered as it relates to being a follower of Christ from John 13 to John 17. That's where Jesus does this. And then in John 15, he's getting to a very difficult section of scripture. And in Christ's life right now, after he spends these six hours with his disciples, He's going to go to the cross for six hours, and he finds as he's delivered over to into the hands of his enemies uh, that he's not only uh, being attacked religiously by the Jews, he's also being attacked politically by the Romans. And the disciples are looking at this moment, thinking, "What's going to happen to us if, Je- if this is going to happen to Jesus? Then our lives are over too. And we gave up our lives to follow him for the last three years, and so is this entire uh, pursuit that we've had in following Jesus for his kingdom. Is that gone as well?" Like they see everything coming to its demise. And Jesus not only says everything's working according to plan, but greater things than these you will do. Now, the disciples are dealing with the turmoil and Christ is pointing future to the future with hope. And then in verse 18, Jesus gives this uh, very sobering statement. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it has hated you. Now this is kind of like a, a rain on your parade party sort of, sort of statement, is it? Um, uh, this, this thought that Jesus is he's saying, you know, the greater things that you're going to do and the spirit of God is going to be with you and keep looking forward and keep, and, and keep anticipating this great hope and leaning harder into me. That's all the things Christ has said leading up to this. And all of a sudden he just says, and the world hates me and the world hates you. <laughs> That's, why would Jesus say this, right? I, I think there, there, there's a few reasons we could point out, but let me, let me just highlight one for you. Um, I, I think the enemy, Satan, Satan loves discouragement and adversity in your life. Because if Satan can get you isolated, feeling all alone, questioning the goodness of who your God is, then Satan can devour you. In fact, I, I think that was the thought of Peter when he wrote his last couple of epistles before his own martyrdom at the end of 1 Peter chapter five, he says to us in verse seven, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you because your enemy, your adversary, roars around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan knows if he can get you discouraged, he's got a good opportunity to crush you where you are. I think away, the way a lion hunts, right? The lion comes towards the pack, but the lion doesn't just charge into the pack. The lion, the lion wants to pick off the weak one in the edge, the one in the fray, the one that's limping around, the one that seems most wounded. And I think Jesus knows that's, that's how Satan gets us. Right? But at the same time, in the midst of our weakness, God can also do some incredible things. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about that in a moment. In fact, I would say things that are even greater and even stronger than uh, Satan's <clears throat> approach towards us as people. But, but I wanna open off, if you, if you picked up the notes this morning, there's a, there's a blank at the very beginning of, of your notes that just reminds us of this thought as Christians. And Jesus is doing the same thing here in verses 18 to 21. Every Christian, this is the blank, every Christian has a battle. Every Christian has a battle. If you look at verse 18 to verse 21, look at this with me. I I highlighted this. It's very interesting uh, how how the section starts off and the way Jesus then starts to communicate further from here. He says, if the world hates you. Notice that, the word if. If the world hates you, you, you know that it has hated me before it has hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, but because of this, the world hates you. So he starts off, if the world hates you, let's be real, the world will hate you that's what he says in verse 19 verse 20 remember the word that i said to you a slave is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will persecute you so not only not only you stand in christ will the world hate but also you will be persecuted because of that if they kept my word they will keep yours also but all these things they will do you uh, to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me Every Christian has a battle. And, and Jesus is reminding us that it's not a matter of in following after him if the world hates you. But the reality is that when you stand for Christ, you stand opposed to what the world stands for. I love how, how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. He, says, um, he, he describes all the sins of the world. And then he says this, and such were some of you, you've been, but you've been bought by Christ. You've been glorified in him there's you know, there was a way that you used to align that was opposed to God because you belonged to the things of this world. But now you stand opposed to the things of this world because you belong to Christ. When you, when you read in the context of even, even the book of John, John three sixteen 16, it's very interesting how he juxtaposes John writing. He writes the book of John and he writes the book of 1 John and he says two different things. That's very interesting. And, and John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son but then in, in First John uh, chapter 2, verses 15 to 7, he, uh, verses 15 to 17, he says, "Love not the world, nor the things in the world." It's very confusing, isn't it? For God to so love the world. And then 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, love not, love not the world nor the things in the world. So which is it? Do I, do I love the world or do I not love the world? But, but the, the context breeds, uh, bleeds into this thought that when God's talking about world in John three sixteen, what he's talking about is the people of the world. When, John, when John's talking about the world in, in 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, he's talking about the things of this world, the systems of this world. And the Bible calls us to live differently. And because you live contrary to that, the Bible reminds us, Jesus reminds us here that the world will hate you. And when you think in terms of this hate, hate feels very personal. Because as it's described here for us in a, in a very general way, the world hates you. We come to know, and as we experience life on following Jesus, that sometimes the world has very specific names. It could be friends, it could be family, and it's hard not to feel like it's personal when people you know uh, stand against you because of your love for Jesus. But Jesus reminds us, and take a look at this. Guys, give me a, another click here. Jesus says... Um, Keep in mind, guys, that while it may feel personal, it really isn't. Because what they ultimately hate, it's me. Jesus says, the hate that you experience, it's it's really hatred towards me, right? He says in verse 18, it has hated me before it hated you. In verse 20, if they had persecuted me, They will also persecute you. Verse 21, they will do to you for my name's sake because they don't know the one who sent me. Jesus is saying in those moments, just recognize that what it's ultimately against really isn't you, it's against him. Every Christian has a battle. It's where the enemy likes to work But God has the ability to do incredible things in the midst of that struggle. But point number two, I want us to recognize as well, the truth is crucial. The truth is crucial. When we engage in that battle, what the enemy wants more than anything is to come against the truth. The truth brings life. The truth develops uh, conviction in God's people. The battle starts with the truth and not just simply the truth, but really the truth believed. Uh, James chapter two talks about this. He says, even the demons believe, even the demons believe. And what James is saying is, look, um, there's one thing to to, to intellectually assent to something, to recognize something is true. But it's another thing to surrender your life to it. Like you can know Jesus is true but still not surrender your life to Jesus. So when we're talking about believing, it's the type of belief that we believe in, right? We wanna, we wanna put our faith into this holistically. This is what Jesus has been saying to us. Um, John eight thirty two. you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. It's not just the idea of this assenting to the truth, but trusting in it, leaning into the idea of truth, that the truth is crucial. And from the beginning, that's what Satan's pursuit has been, has to get you to question the truth, to doubt the truth, to to pervert the truth. Uh, uh, In Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, did God really say? Did God really say, you wanna know where Satan's gonna do his battle? It's over the truth. If he can get you to doubt God's promises. I mean, you can see it on a page. You can know what it says. But if you can see that as saying, you know, that's, that's what God says for everyone else. But, but does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Can I put all of my, my well-being into the statement that Christ delivered to his people as one of his people, right? The truth is where he battles. Look, look at this. It says some, in, in uh, John chapter 15 and verse 20. Jesus even identifies: if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus is recognizing for us: it's been a battle over his word. If they had just given into his word, but they didn't. Even at Jesus's death, what you'll find in Christ is they they twist. What Jesus has said. It's a battle over the truth. And maybe I should say it like this for us. What makes this so important is because if they twist Jesus' words, they can twist your words too. And when people start to manipulate and twist your words, you could look at that moment and start to think, am I I the one that's crazy? (laughs) Right? It's the definition of (laughs) gaslighting. You start to you, you you've embraced something, you've walked with something, you've said something, and all of a sudden now they're saying things that aren't exactly what you said to misrepresent who you are and what you're about. And so Jesus wants us to understand how important it is to root yourself here. Find the foundation for which you should stand. That's one of the beautiful things today about singing this, the last song that we sang before we started delivering this message is to see that Christianity has stood on the same pillar of truth for thousands of years. The truth sets you free. John eight thirty two. Uh, Many of you would remember, it's not been too long ago that Larry King, I think it was the beginning of this year, Larry King passed away. It's only been a few years ago since, since uh, Larry King retired from, from doing his show. Uh, but one time they, they, they questioned Larry King and they said to him, they said, uh, Larry, out of all the guests you had, because he had a ton of guests, every night he had a different guest, right? What's, what's one guest you never had that you, wish, that you wish you got the chance to interview? And he would always joke, the only, the only guest that ever escaped Larry King was God. And so they asked him, well, if you ever had the opportunity to to interview God, what what would be the question you would ask him? And and he said this, my first question for God would be, do you have a son? Because there's a lot riding on the answer. I was listening to a a young lady uh, yesterday mowing my lawn. Uh, She's, she was, she's actually not young anymore. She's got her PhD now, but, but um, she She was talking about her faith previous to coming to Christ. She used to be nominally a Buddhist. She didn't really practice it, but she grew up in a home that that was the way her parents identified. And so that's how she saw herself. And, And then she started to interact with some Christians. And she said, as she started to interact with some Christians, she, she realized all her life she had come to this belief that in order to find out what belief system might be right in the world, she always generally believed in a God, but whatever belief system might be right in the world, she would have to explore every faith to know the answer to whether or not um, what, what belief would be true and what belief wasn't. But then she started to interact with Christians and she found out um, because of the claim with Christianity that her former idea of having to explore every belief to find the right belief was in fact fallacious she began to realize in christianity that all of christianity hinged on one thing who jesus is as it relates to his death burial and resurrection she realized if she took the opportunity just to study the death burial and resurrection of jesus that if she found it to be true then she didn't have to look anywhere else And so she started to explore the reality of what Christianity had said about Jesus in relationship to his death, burial, and resurrection. And she found what she investigated as being historically uh, validated and therefore true. And then she was left with another question. Would she believe it then? Because she also began to realize that while she saw it as true, that her reputation was at risk. What would her friends and family say if all of a sudden she claimed to be a Christian? And then she determined the kind of person she wanted to be. That regardless of where the chips may fall, she wanted to stand as a person who rested in the truth. Every Christian has a battle And the truth is crucial. It becomes the hinge point for where you rest yourself in Christ. I love what Peter said in John six, verse 68. If you see it on the screen, this is in in John chapter six. If you remember in the story together, uh, we we explored this several weeks ago, but, but this is the point where Jesus declares that it's going to be difficult to follow after him. And many of people stop following Christ. But the disciples stayed by Jesus and he he asked them, are you going to leave too? And and Peter gives this remark. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Yes, Jesus, it may be hard. But Jesus, it's the truth that gives life. And therefore, it's the truth for which we will stand when you approach this this chapter in John, chapter 15, verse 18, I, I think what Jesus wants us to anticipate, guys, and prepare our minds for is to recognize there is a storm coming. When you follow Jesus, there will be a storm that comes. But determine right now what your heart will stand for. Because in the storm, sometimes there is a feeling that wages against you. But there is a faith that endures. Determine what you will follow. That's how James opens up his book in James chapter one, verses two to four. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you endure various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect work. What James is saying is when hardship comes, It becomes the place for you to express that your faith in Jesus is deeper than the hardship that you endure. You know your faith is real because through the adversity, you still choose Jesus. And so James is saying, consider it all joy because the testing of your faith produces that endurance. The expression of your faith is seen in hardship and Jesus matters more. Every Christian has a battle and the truth becomes that place. It's the crucial point for which you stand. And then point number three, the battle plans are clear. And you're blank. It's hate or love. Hater love. And in verse 22, Jesus goes on and says it like this. If I had not come and spoken to them, talking about the world, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the, world, uh, the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. So Jesus is saying, um, you want to know why the world uh, responds the way it does? Their, their battle plan is hate. Is because I've shown up and I've put a spotlight on where they're walking contrary to me. And now they've got to do something about it. And so what they choose to do about it rather than change, change themselves and, and surrender to me is to take me out of the way. I've caused them to have to deal with their lives that live contrary to me, their creator and their savior. And they would rather live king of their lives. So that battle plan is hate. And, and here's yours though, in the midst of this, guys, don't let the world dictate how you're called to live. Just because they choose to respond one way, you've already give, been given your, your battle calling in the Lord. And in John chapter 15, verses 12 and 17, Jesus said it to us just previous to this, this section. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is, uh, this, I command you that you love one another. Regardless of how the world responds, and John says this in 1 John, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. And here's how you know God's children are walking in truth. If you love God in 1 John 4, you'll love others. We are never given excuse to hate someone else. Our calling in this world is to stand on the truth and love. And the world doesn't understand that. The belief of the world is, if you love me, then you will agree with me. And the beauty of Jesus is, and while he still disagreed with us as sinners, he never stopped loving us. It's a a beautiful place where we can come to Christ however we are and find Jesus heal us and transform us because in our sin, he never gave up on us. And that's our calling in the world to not back down from truth because it's the truth that transforms and to do so lovingly, compassionately, caring for others that walk contrary to God, to live the truth in love. The world tends to see it like this. If you obey me, then I will love you. But Jesus's way is this. Because I love you, therefore you will obey me. It's his compassion and love towards us that draws us into him. Romans 12, 21 says it like this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As a church, this is the... A beautiful place for us that we have opportunity to, I think, experience the Lord and the way that we live. In fact, um, because of where we live, because I, I think this is so critical to see these two points that as we have our battle, the truth is so crucial not to back away from this, but, but not just, not just the truth, but to communicate that truth in love. People are not our enemies. We're called in this world to fight for them. And that's the beauty of the mission of the church, isn't it? That we exist for people outside of us. We exist to reach this world for Christ. I, I, I can think when I say that, those, those kind of words, to be able to echo those words in the United States of America, can I, can I just tell you that I don't think there is a more important place I could give that kind of a statement. I don't think there's a more important county I could say that kind of a statement. I mean, when you, when you look at the, the demographics of where we live, do you, do you recognize in Utah County today, there, there are only about 20 mainstream Christian churches in our county and a county of 700,000 people, almost 700,000 people, I should say. That's one church for 35,000 people. You know, the average size of our churches in this valley, there are a few that are a little big, bigger, but the average size church in our valley is about 50 people. Can I I tell you, if you live in Utah and specifically if you live in Utah County, the thoughts that Jesus is expressing to us this morning, I, I should think if anyone clings to these words more than anyone else, it's us today. To, to, to recognize and following after Jesus, like it may make me different and there is a battle to fight, but the truth is worth it because the truth is freeing and the truth is crucial and the truth shapes conviction in me. And while other people may twist the truth or stand against the truth, I need to affirm in myself what that truth is. So I rest upon that truth and, and rest in it so confidently that when people come against it, I'm not attacking them, but loving them in it and loving them through it because where I sit and how I stand in Jesus, it matters. It matters more here than anywhere. Expressing the truth in Christ and love. That's why as a church when we we think about how we want to stand. We have these core values that we, we, we state. And I want you to say, I want to say, I'm, I'm not going to go through all these values, but I'll, I just want you to be aware that as a church, we have these values. These values are so valuable to us because of, of the way, um, not only it stands for truth, but, but, but how it stands for truth, right? To know Christ, to say, look, we're, we're not a, we're not a place of religion. We're a place of relationship. We, Jesus wants to walk with you daily to know him and to understand we come to God in this truth, not to, to beat people up with it, but to understand Jesus wants you to set you free and, and to find your identity in him and to see how beautiful that is to speak that truth in love. We're not here to prove we're right. At the end of the day, if you think we're right and you're wrong, what does that do? We want you to walk with Christ with us and, and, and seeing that as caring for every soul and, and, and devoted to one another as a church and, and to think beyond us, bigger than us, because God calls us to live on mission as his, people and the last is this last blink in your notes the spirit is our strength verse 26 and 27 of, of John 15 um, the spirit is our strength this is a little bit weird if you, if you read this section verses 15 to or chapter 15 verses 18 to 27 uh, most, most Bibles will section off verse 26 and 27 as a separate paragraph it's like Jesus has two thoughts about this struggle that we're in and in verse 26 and 27, it kind of looks like he stopped talking about his subject matter, which is the adversity that we face. And all of a sudden starts talking about the spirit. But what Jesus is actually doing is he's, he's really going full circle all the way back to chapter 14. He's going back to chapter 14 and verse uh, 16 to 18 here to remind us what the purpose of the spirit is. Remember he said in verse uh, 16 to eight, 18 of, of chapter 14, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm gonna send my spirit, my advocate, my comforter. He will be with you and he will be in you. Meaning when we go to live in this world knowing that we will face battles, there will be adversity, how, how can we be successful? Well, if it's a spiritual battle we're facing in and of yourself, you won't. But in the spirit, you will. And in verse 26, he says this, when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. And this, is, this, this verse is where I, I said in the very beginning, look, Satan uses adversity. He loves adversity, but Jesus does too. And Jesus in that place of adversity I think his, his will, his desires to do something far greater, supersedes anything Satan can do. In darkness, God is victorious. That's the symbol of the cross for us, the darkest of day in history, the greatest of victory for all of humanity, if you would put your faith in Christ. And guys, every battle that we face in life, it becomes that same reminder. What will you lean into? Let Satan pick you off. Or trust in the promises of Christ. Lean into his spirit because he is with you. And it's not your strength that testifies about the goodness of God, but the spirit of God who works through you. Uh, as, As a a follower of Jesus. I often joke about this in my life, but I feel like I know the symbol of Christianity. We have a few of them, but probably the most popular one is the cross. Um, but I often joke that I feel like mine should be a trash can. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I feel like Jesus often takes me to the places where I feel like throwing up rather than moving forward. <laughs> it just gets a little nerve-wracking sometimes in pursuing Christ like, "Lord, you really want me to take this step?" Okay, well, uh, let's go. Right, like, it's, it's, this, it's this leaning into Jesus that feels hard. It feels hard, but, but you know one of the one of the beautiful books I think of the Bible when we, we talk that way in Jesus is um, is the book of Second Corinthians. Uh, Second Corinthians is a book that talks a lot about our weakness. Now, Paul reflects on his own weakness in 2 Corinthians 12. The first four chapters of the book really open up with, with weakness. And when, when you get to uh, chapter 13, listen to this. In verse 3, he says this. Who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you? Verse 4, "For he also are, but we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. It's really in our weakness that we start to experience the strength of God. I mean, that is, that's the tension of the Christian life. It's the place that we, we meet the Lord. It's the place where heaven and earth come together in you, right? It's like you're walking in this world. This world is contrary to God, but you have the goodness of your King who indwells you by the power of his spirit. And in that struggle, you get to meet with the Lord. I mean, if you're being honest like in that struggle, that's sometimes the only time you desire to meet with the Lord, right? Like, Oh, a hard time. Let's turn to the Lord very quickly. We run to God in hard things, don't we? And it's in those moments that, that we're walking with God in this tension that we try to figure out, okay, God, here's your truth. And these are people that you desire to pursue. How can I honor you? And and if you're being honest with that moment, even though people may see the beauty of God work through you as you seek his face, it's you that that gets the greatest blessing in those moments. Because it's you in that hardship that has pursued God to to honor God in relationships with others that might have tension. But it's you that got to see God faithful in his promises. It's you that connected to your creator in the most intimate of ways. It's you that met with the Lord knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect work. It's you that got to meet with the Lord. The Christian life in this world is a place of tension where heaven and earth collide, but you get to meet with Jesus. Uh, This week I was listening to a a quote or a a comment by by John Piper. Someone asked him, they said, uh, John Piper, and if you don't know him, that's okay. He's a a famous pastor, minister. And someone asked him, uh, when you get to those places in life where you don't know what to do, how do you respond? And I thought, that's great that John Piper even answered this question. He, uh, you know, I think John Piper, sometimes we see him on a pedestal and people be like, there's never a time where John Piper gets into a place in life where he doesn't know the biblical answer of what to do, right? Uh, John Piper, Jesus, they just got this direct connection that happens here. So, so God communicates with him and he just automatically knows. But he actually, he answers the question and he talks about uh, being in that tension in life where he's seeking after God because he doesn't know the answer. You know what he said? He turns to the word of God. And he said one of his face, favorite places to run was the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a beautiful place to run because it's learning how to worship the Lord when life seems hard. That's a lot of the Psalms. But he said Psalm 25 for him is that place where he seeks God in that tension. And, and just listen to these words. I just thought it was a beautiful place to, to read to you this morning. He says, to you, O Lord, verse one, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Verse seven. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and the truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is is great i think it's, it's just a beautiful psalm of waiting on god i think this is what jesus is saying to us in john 15 we get in that place of tension and and we like to panic we're trying to figure out the next step and, and then we just lead in our flesh and before before you know it, we've walked from the lord And Jesus is saying to us, look, every Christian has a battle. Rest yourself in truth. Don't let the world dictate who you are, but continue to live in in love and rest in that spirit. God will lead you. God will lead you. Because that's what the Christian life is. is when, When I make that kind of statement, do you believe it or not? When life gets hard, do you still believe it? Or not? Is he who he says he is? But just for a moment, encourage you, without comparing yourself to anyone else. just you and Jesus, taking a step forward by faith, trusting in Him to hold you up, let me just ask: Are you straying under the stress of the world? Are you finding yourself aligning with Christ? Are you afraid that the Lord may not be enough? Or are you trusting in his promises to be true? The encouragement for this section for us is just live in the truth. Wherever God has you, live in the truth and let the chips fall where they may because the Lord is strong in our weakness. We're not in control, but he is. Let me end with just this story for us. Uh, There's a famous... Church, early church father named Ignatius. The reason I picked him this morning, a couple reasons. One, he was discipled by the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John. It's incredible when you read church history because you can go all the way back to those that were discipled directly by the apostles, and Ignatius is one of them. But one of the crazy things about Ignatius is really nothing is known about Ignatius until the end of his life. Last couple weeks of his life. Ignatius comes onto the church history scene like a rocket and he goes out like a light. In A.D. 110, um, Ignatius, the reason we know about Ignatius in AD 110. He is, um, on his way to Rome for martyrdom. He was a follower of Christ. He was the Bishop in Antioch. He led the church in Antioch and he's on his way to Rome uh, for martyrdom. And while he's on this journey being taken uh, across the land uh, from the East to the West, he, he begins to write letters to churches that he passes on his way. He writes seven letters, six of them to churches, one of them to another church leader named Polycarp. But he just starts writing letters to encourage the saints. He, he encourages them to stand for truth. He encourages them in unity, And then he talks about his own faith. And one of the incredible things Ignatius does is the last letter he writes is to Rome. And he writes to Rome before he actually gets to Rome where he's going to, to die in the arena in the Colosseum. He thinks he's going to be fed to wild animals in the Colosseum. And he, he writes to the Christians there. And listen, this part of his letter, he says this, I implore you, do not be unreasonably kind to me. Let me be food for the wild beasts. Bear with me. I know what is best for me. Now at last, I am begging to be a disciple. May nothing visible or invisible envy me so that I may reach Jesus Christ. Ignatius is looking at the end of his life and he's encouraging Christians. He actually encourages them, don't try to break me out of jail. I don't want to be broken out of jail. I don't even want you to look at my position as being so bad that you guys treat me so well that I, I don't want to face my martyrdom. I want to go out looking to nothing but Jesus. Ignatius's life is Fully given over to Christ. And that's the way he wants to remember it. And he comes in like a, like a light, like a rocket and goes out like a light. But I say all this to say to us, guys, everyone is going to die at some point. Everyone dies at some point, but it's what you do with the life you've been given that counts. Jesus in these moments recognizes life has its battles. When others twist your words, stay true to your foundation. Don't let the world dictate who you are. Let Christ lead you in love towards others, that you may glorify him not by your strength, but in your weakness through the power of his strength made known in you. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah.